Well, I want to welcome everybody here today and also those joining us on TV and on the stream. You know, you could be a million different places doing a million different things, and yet you've come here to give your best praise and your best worship to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we're just glad that we get to gather together and we get the opportunity to do that. Now, we're in the middle of a series called The Hall of Faith, and we're going to continue that series next week, and then in two weeks, we're going to jump to a brand new series, and this one's called Mixtape. Now, do you remember when you were a teenager and you began to put your mixtape together for that significant person in your life that you wanted to woo with your songs of love towards them, right? You couldn't say the words yourself, so you put a cassette tape together. And then when you waited for that song all day long, the DJ talked in the front of the song, ruining the whole tape job that you wanted to do. Well, we're going to do a little series on relationships and on marriage and whether you're married or not, this is a series that's going to help you along the way. Take a look at this. Have you ever wondered how to tell if someone is marriage material? What about what it takes to work through an argument with a spouse? Maybe you've asked yourself, how do I raise my kids the way God wants me to? Join us for our new series, Mixtape. We've got a jam for every situation, and we're getting ready to unpack relationships of all kinds, from friends to dating, from marriage to parenthood. There really isn't a one-size-fits-all way to navigate the intricacies of the people closest to us. We need wisdom for each step as they come, and in most situations, before they come. Get ready to crank up the volume and tune in for advice God gives us in the areas that matter most. This is going to be a lot of fun, so make sure you come every week. Bring a friend or two with you, and if you're at home, maybe you can start a little small group. Invite friends and family to come over and watch it online and then do the small group study right afterwards on the Sagebrush app. Let's spread the message. Let's spread the news about Jesus Christ. All right, Hall of Faith. We're inducting our brand-new person into that. This is the person by the name of Elijah. It happened several years ago in Romania. There was a pastor named Laszlo Tokes. Uh, this particular pastor was the pastor of the Hungarian Reformed Church, and it was just catching like a wildfire. People were coming from all around to be a part of this church. In fact, over 5,000 people were attending this church. Now, one of the things you need to understand about a communist country is that when you get a bunch of Christians together, it becomes a threat to the political power of the person who's in charge, or at least they think it's a threat to their power. And so they were going to do everything in their power to try to shut down Pastor Tokes. Now, this happens all over the world today and all different kinds of countries. I've seen it with my own two eyes. Years ago, uh, myself and Baba Church, we headed to the Middle East, and we were trying to find some partners there that wanted to do something significant for the things of God and for the kingdom. We wanted to spread the message of Jesus in one of the most unreached places on the face of the earth. Well, we met with different Christians who were there, and what we heard over and over again is once you get something going, once you get something really started pretty strong, the government comes in and just obliterates whatever it is that you have tried to do. 
Well, we thought we could be the exception to the rule, and so we started an ESL, that's English as a Secondary Language, and it took off like a wildfire. And of course, while we're trying to teach these folks English, we're also teaching them about Jesus Christ. There was a long waiting list to even be a part of this particular school. It was really going great. But word got back to the government, and they came in, they seized all of our computers, they shut our school down, they imprisoned our missionaries for over a week. We were finally able to get them out of prison, and then they revoked their visas and told them to never return to that country ever again. So Pastor Tokes, he's got himself a problem. He's, a, he's got an on-fire church that's growing by leaps and bounds, and the communist government isn't excited about that at all. So the first thing they try to do to try to stop this church is they set armed guards at the very entrance, soldiers of the Romanian army, and they've got their machine guns. And it was their opinion that the people coming to this church would see the soldiers with the machine guns. They would realize that the government meant business and that they wouldn't continue to attend the church, that they would just go home. But these people were not your run-of-the-mill kinds of people. They didn't care if there were people outside with machine guns. They had come to worship Jesus Christ. And so they busted on through, and they continued to attend, much to the chagrin of the Romanian government. So they said, you know what? We'll attack the pastor. That's what we'll do. If we attack the pastor, then the people will just scatter as a result. So they took away his food stamps. They took away his rations. They took away his ability to buy and sell goods, to get groceries, to get gasoline. And yet the pastor... Pastor just kept showing up week after week after week. So they hired some thugs, and the thugs caught him in an alleyway, and they beat him down. They were surprised when he showed up the very next weekend to proclaim that Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They said, well, this is ridiculous. Let's just arrest him and be done with him once and for all. So that was their plan. But little did they know that the word had gotten out on the street, and when they came to the church to arrest the pastor, there was a human chain made up of people in that particular church, made up of other area churches around. They wouldn't let the soldiers pass through to get their pastor. This went on for one day. And then one night, and at night there was a kid named Daniel, and Daniel had some candles in his pocket. He pulled his candles out, and he lit the first candle, and he passed the candles out, and they all lit their candles as a symbol of Christian unity. This went on for one day, and then a second day. On the third day, the soldiers got orders to break through the human chain, and so they did. Then they broke down the door of the, of the church and they grabbed the pastor and his wife and they beat them and they took them off to prison. Now they thought that was the end of it, that that was the end of this church. But that church went on down to the city square. Word had gotten out what had happened to the pastor and the people were sick of being treated in this way. And all of a sudden thousands of people started going to the city square. Then tens of thousands. Then hundreds of thousands of people. And Daniel was there once again with, with his candles and he passed them out and he lit the first candle and passed it. It was once a symbol of Christian unity. Now it was a symbol of standing for the basic rights of human beings. They lit their candles. They sang their songs. They refused to leave. This went on for a few days, and then the dictator of Romania at the time decided to open fire upon the crowd. He figured that would be the way to disperse them, and so he killed hundreds of them. Daniel was one of the first ones to be shot. They shot him in the leg. His leg was taken completely off of him. 
He was rushed to the hospital. The people continued to protest. And a week later, the Romanian communist leader fell. And for the first time in 50 years, those people celebrated Christmas free from communism. Daniel, that's awesome, isn't it? And Daniel... He celebrated Christmas in the hospital, trying to learn how to walk with crutches. And this pastor came and visited him and said, I'm so sorry about your leg. You know what Daniel said? He said, don't be sorry for me at all. After all, pastor, I was the first one to light the first candle. A candle that changed the entire nation. Friends, there comes a point in time when you've got to stand for what is right. You have to stand for what is true. And history proves that to be true. When there are tyrants, when there are dictators, someone has to stand in the gap. Someone has to speak the Lord's truth. And that's what Elijah does. Let me kind of give you some background to Elijah's story so you kind of know where it fits in God's overall story. The period of the judges is now over. These were military men and women that God raised up for a particular purpose to fight against the Israelites' enemies. Now we have a period of the kings, okay? And we have three main kings. We've got Saul, we've got David, and we've got Solomon. After Solomon's reign, the, the nation of Israel is split in two. And so Elijah comes on the scene, and he is a prophet of God. And there was a king at the time by the name of Ahab. Now, Ahab was a very wicked individual. He was married to a girl named Jezebel. And Jezebel was kind of the power behind the throne. She was really the one who told Ahab what to do. She was a rather freaky girl. The kind you don't bring home to mother. Just, sorry about that. You're going to have that song in your head the rest of the day. And for that, I'm eternally apologetic to you for that, okay? But that's what she was. She was just a weird, wiggity-whack woman. And Ahab and Jezebel had led the children of Israel to worship a false god, a god by the name of Baal. Baal was a god that they made of a rock, and they believed that Baal had the power over the weather the power over rain, and the power over fertility. And so they had all these altars all over the country of Israel, and people would come and they would bow down to a rock. Well, you can imagine that God was greatly offended at this. And so he says to Elijah, you go into the throne room of Ahab and Jezebel, and you tell them that unless they repent, there's not going to be another drop of rain that falls on Israel. A severe drought is going to come. Now, let me stop here for a second and ask you a question. Would you want that assignment? Would you want to walk into the throne room of the most powerful person in your country who has the power to choose whether you live or die? And you're not coming in with good news now, are you? You're coming in with bad news. But Elijah lived his life for an audience of one. I read a story this past week about Frederick the Great. When he ruled, Frederick the Great liked to party. He liked to party like in 1999. He would always have his generals out, dignitaries out. He'd have one party after another party after another party. Well, there was one particular general, a guy named Von Zieten, who didn't attend one of the particular parties. And word got out as to why he didn't attend the particular party. And the reason he didn't attend is because he wanted to go to church. They were having communion, and he wanted to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You know, the bread represents the body of Christ being broken, and the juice represents the blood that was poured out so that we can be forgiven of our sins. He saw that as more important than going to a party with Frederick the Great. Well, that didn't sit so well with Frederick the Great. Well, months goes by, and Frederick throws another party, and this time the general shows up. And they're around this huge banquet table. 
And all of a sudden, the conversation begins talking about Von, von Zeten and how, how he didn't show up to the last party because he was at church. And then they began to make fun of Christianity. Even Frederick the Great joined in making fun of Christ, making fun of communion, making fun of the Lord's Supper. And von Zeten had heard all that he was going to hear. He stood up at the table and he addressed Frederick the Great, and this is what he said. My Lord, there's a greater king than you. A king to whom I have sworn allegiance even unto death. I am a Christian man, and I cannot sit quietly as the Lord's name is dishonored and his character belittled. Now, the guest at this time trembled in silence. What would Frederick the Great do? He has the power to make this guy live or die. He could say, off with his head. And that would be the end of von Zeten. Frederick the Great got up from the table, walked down to where von Zeten was sitting. And he extended his hand. And he apologized. And then he turned to the room full of people. And he said, we will never make a travesty ever again of sacred things. And it all happened because one person was willing to take a stand. This is who Elijah is. So he goes into the throne room. He says, Ahab, Jezebel, because of your disobedience to God, because you have bowed down before this rock, God's going to show you who the one true God is. You think that Baal is going to bring about rain? Well, God's not going to let it rain one drop until you repent of your sin. And I'm sure Ahab and Jezebel thought that was quite funny, don't you think? I bet they just laughed and laughed and laughed. But they weren't laughing a couple of months later. Because a couple of months later, guess what? All the crops, they had dried up. And there was no food in Israel. There was barely any water in Israel. A severe drought happened. And this is so classic of human beings. Rather than Ahab and Jezebel realizing they had sinned and they had gone against God and they had blown it and coming to God and repenting of their sin, rather than taking the blame and the responsibility upon themselves, oh, no, 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 they passed it on to Elijah. They said, that guy needs to die. That guy needs to go. Well, God knew all about this, and he wasn't about to have his prophet die. And so God warns Elijah and says, I want you to go out in the middle of the desert where no one's around, where no one even visits, no one even travels by, and I've got a brook for you in the middle of the desert. Now, the brook makes sense, doesn't it? Elijah's going to need water while he's out in the middle of the desert, and there's some water that's there. And so Elijah says, all right, well, but what about food? I mean, I need more than just water to survive. And God says, I've got that covered for you as well. Ravens are going to come and bring you food. What? Ravens are going to come and bring you food. Would you go? And then here's the other question I've got. If you do go, do you really want the food that the ravens bring? Because I'm thinking this isn't filet mignon. You know what I'm saying? It's whatever they picked up off some dead carcass along the way. What am I going to do with that? You know? And my middle daughter, Hannah, who has a phobia of birds, she's going to starve to death. That's what's going to happen right there. She's not going to take that food. But Elijah goes and does what doesn't make any sense. Now, hadn't that been kind of a thread through all these stories? Is that God comes to them and says, this is what I want you to do, and it makes absolutely no sense at all, and they're obedient to do it, even though everyone else thinks they're crazy, even though everybody else thinks they're nuts, they know in their heart of hearts that this is what God wants them to do, and so they move forward in faith, and then God shows up and God is faithful. That's the pattern that we see again and again and again. I remember years ago, 
we really wanted to make an impact in Albuquerque in the city. And we said we, our goal is to have a sagebrush location within a 15 to 20 minute drive of every person who lives in Albuquerque in the, in the greater Albuquerque area. And maybe we can even expand this to some other towns and other cities in New Mexico as well. We wanted to go multi-site. We, we had heard about some churches that were already going multi-site, and they were seeing some great success, and, and I want to reach people for Jesus Christ. And so we brought a consultant in, and he kind of shared with us how you do a multi-site campus. Now, for those of you who are brand new to Sagebrush, you don't know what I'm talking about, what this terminology multi-site means. It means that we have other campuses around the city, and those other campuses have great kids' ministry. they got great student ministry. Everything is live and in person. The only difference between a multi-site and like the Riverside campus is at the Riverside campus, I, I speak live. I, I'm on the stage. And at the other multi-site campuses, they watch a video of a message that I gave on that particular weekend. So that's the only difference is the preacher's not live. There's a campus pastor. He takes care of the pastoral care needs. He runs small groups. He does a million other things for that campus. The only difference is that I'm on a screen. That's the only difference between a multi-site and, and a normal campus. So if you're by one of our multi-sites, check it out. They're really great campuses. Well, I, I want to do this. And I think this is exactly what God wants us to do. But, you know, it, it, when you adopt something early on, not everybody's excited about it, right? There, there aren't exactly everybody being an early adopter. There's a lot of people that don't come along for a long, long time. Well, I'm anxious about this. And I have some relatives that have come in to, uh, from out of town. And uh, I kind of throw the idea at them because I'm still debating it. Should we go for this or shouldn't we go for this? And so I asked one of my relatives, I said, what do you think? Should we do this multi-site thing? And I explained what it was. And uh, I said, would you go to a church that's multi-site where the preacher is on a video? And my, my relative looked at me and said, no, I, I, would, I would never go to a church like that. I said, that's good to know. Thank you for your opinion. So I went to the other relative that was there on this particular trip. And I said, well, would you go to a church like that? And, and this person went a little bit farther. They said, not only would they not go... But they told me it was a stupid idea and that I shouldn't waste a single dime of the church's money pursuing something so stupid. And I said, don't hold back because I really want to know. You, you ever been in a situation where everybody tells you not to do it and you know you need to? You ever been in a situation where you know for certain that this is what God wants you to do and no one else believes in it, no one else sees it, no one else wants to support it at that point in time, and you, you're worried, you're anxious, you're nervous about it. Is God going to be faithful? Is God going to come through? And will I have the faith to take that step of faith to do what God has called me to do? I remember standing before you, and I said, listen, we, we've just moved into this brand new facility on the Riverside campus. God's laid it on our heart to start other campuses. We're going to do this through the multi-site movement. And so I'm going to need some of you to go and, and start this new, new work in Rio Rancho. And, 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 I, and I heard, you know, skepticism. People were like, we're not going. He's not live. We're not going. And then I asked the question, what are you doing right now? You're, you're looking at the screens, right? Because one of the things that's interesting when I'm talking to you is that nobody's looking at me right now. You're all like, you're, this group's looking past me over here, and this group's looking past me over here. We're crisscross applesauce. That's what's happening right now. You understand what I'm saying? Right now, you're looking at the screen. Some of you are even too close, and you're like, I can barely see the screen. It's hurting my neck. And I'm right here. So we launched it, and you went. And now we have seven multi-sites. And thousands, literally thousands and thousands of people over the years have given their lives to Jesus Christ at our multi-sites. 
And it wouldn't have happened if we hadn't taken a step of faith, if we hadn't have done what God asked us to do. Listen, if you're you're gonna follow Jesus, I'm just gonna tell you right now, most of the time he's gonna ask you to do something that makes no sense. And then you gotta make a decision, are you gonna do it or not? I mean, he's gonna ask you to forgive those who have hurt you. And it's not gonna make any sense because everything inside of you wants to get revenge. But to let it go and say, vengeance is the Lord's. I'm gonna hand that over to him. I'm gonna move on with my life without bitterness and anger. That's a hard thing to do. That doesn't make any sense, does it? It's like tithing doesn't make sense to a lot of people. You know, there he goes again, talking about tithing. I, I wanna brag on you. Because a few weeks ago when I talked about the 90-day money-back guarantee and you go on the website and you type in 90-day money-back guarantee and you could fill out this form and you put it in with your first purse pay account, over 100 families signed up for the 90-day money-back guarantee. That was very exciting. So you're taking that step of faith and I promise you that God will be faithful. But listen, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that God's going to do more with the 90% than the 100% that you kept for yourself before. But I'm just telling you, even though the math doesn't make any sense, God is faithful. Listen, it doesn't make any sense that you want to make a difference with your life. I mean, my goodness, do you realize what a minority you are? Do you realize how many people aren't coming to church this weekend? How many people don't care about spiritual things? How many people don't care about heaven and hell? They don't, they don't care about eternity. They don't even care about it for themselves. But here you are, and you show up week after week after week. You tune in week after week after week. Why? Because you want to make a difference. You want to leave a legacy behind. You want to leave this world in better shape than the way that you found it. But I'm going to tell you that your friends and your family members are going to think that doesn't make any sense. Why do you keep going back to that church? Why do you support them financially? What's the matter with you? You some kind of Jesus freak? Yes, I am. But it doesn't make any sense, right? So what God's asking Elijah to do, it doesn't make any sense. So he shows up, and sure enough, there's the brook. And sure enough, the ravens come, and they've got food every day. And it's not great food, but it's food. And then look at what happens next. And then one day, the Bible says, the brook dried up. Uh Uh-oh. The water that he desperately needed is gone. You know what I found to be true? It's it's easy to trust God when you got money in the bank, when your wife or husband loves you and your marriage is just tighter and sweeter than ever before. Not hard to trust God when your kids are being obedient and they love Jesus and they spend time with him and they're seeking him and they're going to be different. It's not hard to trust God in those times. You know what's hard to trust God? When you're broke. Hard to trust God when you just lost your job. Hard to trust God when the marriage isn't going so well and every day it just feels like World War III has just broken out. It's hard to trust God when you walk into your teenager's room and you find drugs hidden away in their bedroom. That's when it gets hard. When the brook dries up, that's when it gets hard. Years ago when I was a student pastor, I had a friend of mine who was also a student pastor in the same town. And we had an idea. And the idea was to have a couple of Christian concerts come, you know, bands come in, and then we'd have a speaker come in, and we, we'd charge for tickets, and then kids would come, and they would bring their friends, and then we would see lots of kids give their lives over to Jesus Christ. We thought it was a great idea. We put it all on paper. We called the different bands, found out how much they are going to charge us and how much the speaker was and T-shirts and food and all that stuff. And the budget looked to be about $10,000. We needed about 500 kids to show up to even break even. 
So we said, well, that's not a problem at all. We have a church family. Both of us were served at different churches. Our church families are, are faithful, and, and they will believe that God will do something great, and they will underwrite this endeavor for us, right? That's what's, that's what's going to happen. So I, th- these two churches, they had boards. You know what a board is? A church board. That, that's where you had to go and talk to some people and give your pitch, and you promote what you want to do. And so I went to them, and I said, this is what I believe that God wants us to do, and, and this is how much it's going to cost, and there's no guarantee that five kids are going to show up. And if 500 kids don't show up, we were hoping that some budget money from the church might, you know, kind of subsidize the difference. <laughs> and they said, listen, that's a wonderful idea. I mean, that is fantastic. We're not giving you a dime. But if you want to do it and you want to underwrite it, you go right ahead. What would you do? I'm making 150 bucks a week. I did it. Why? Because I believe that God would do something supernatural with it. And one of the things you need to understand about me is I do believe there's a heaven and a hell. And if I can reach one more person for Jesus, I'll risk anything. I'll try anything to try to reach that person for Christ. Well, we put the bands together, we got the speaker, we got the food ready to go, we got the t-shirts made up, we are, we are good to go. We are cooking with kerosene, and there's 500 people that have signed up. We're going to break even the first year. And I was so excited. Until the morning of the event, I woke up and opened up my window, and it had snowed <laughs> overnight. And not flurries, nine inches. And churches began to call us that were going to bring their kids, and they said, listen, we can't make it. It's too dangerous. We want a refund. And the brook <laughs> dried up. And I remember calling my friend on the phone, and I said, what in the world is God thinking? It cost me some money. But there's some lessons that can only be learned when the brook dries up. And the greatest lesson I had to learn is would I still praise his name even though it didn't work out the way I hoped it did? See, I've been a minister for a long, long time and I've seen lots of people walk away from God and walk away from the church. And you know why they do it? Because it didn't work out the way they thought that it would. The brook dried up. Their mom passed away. Their dad passed away. Grandma, grandparent, son or a daughter. And they prayed for healing. They prayed that they would be okay. And God said, no, I'm bringing them on home. And we got angry and we got mad. God didn't do what we wanted him to do. The brook dried up. So you walked away. You didn't want anything to do with him anymore. He said it doesn't work like he's some kind of Aladdin's lamp. I had to make some decisions. Was I still going to be faithful? Was I still going to praise his name even though it cost me a few bucks? Would I continue to do the things that God wanted me to do? Would I continue to take the risk that God wanted me to take even when it didn't work out the way I thought? It worked out perfectly the way he wanted it to. Because I learned some life lessons that I've never ever forgotten when the brook dries well, Elijah's like, okay, the brook dried up. This is not good. I don't have any water. I'm not going to be able to survive. I can only go many, so many days without water. And the ravens, they're still bringing food, but I got to have water to wash that down. You know, that's not good stuff right there. And so God says, listen, 
I've got, I've got a lady, and she's in Zarephath, and she's going to take care of you. Look at what the Bible says here, 1 Kings 17, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Now, I just got to be thinking, it's about time. I've been out here in the middle of the desert, sleeping on the desert floor. My back is killing me. I've been eating food from a raven. The brook has dried up. Finally, yeah, there's a woman who's a widow, and she probably has a nice house with a casita, and I'm going to be in the casita. There's probably a mini fridge with all kinds of soft drinks and snacks. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm sleeping out here in the desert. I'm going to sleep in a nice bed tonight. Yeah. He gets there, and God reveals to him who's going to take care of him. And so in verse 10, it says, Elijah called out to the woman and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I can have a drink? He's thinking, All right, bring it on. We're in a drought. Bring me some water. And shockingly enough, she has a little bit of water. That's no small request in the midst of a drought. And then as she heads in to get the water, Elijah shouts out, And would you mind bringing me some bread too? And that's when the woman says, tells Elijah her story. Verse 12, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. What? Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it. And die. Huh? Huh? Elijah's going to be thinking, okay, Lord, you sent me all the way out here to Zarephath. You told me this woman's going to take care of me. I come to find this woman. She got water, but she got nothing to eat. In fact, she's going to make a last little cake of bread for her and her little son, and then she's going to die because the food is out. Why did you have me walk all this way? Didn't make any sense. And here's the thing about Zarephath. You ready for this? It's not even in Israel. This is pagan territory. This is where they worship pagan gods. This woman doesn't even believe in the one true God. She didn't say the Lord our God. She says the Lord your God. Look at what Elijah says to the woman. He says, oh, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and for your son. For, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day of the Lord gives rain on the land. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Put yourself in the widow's shoes. Would you do this? You don't even know this guy. This guy just walked up to you and asked for some water and then asked for some bread. And you just clearly explained to him, listen, we got a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. I got enough to make a little loaf of bread for me and my son. And then after that, the food's run out. We're going to die. Would you listen to what he has to say about the Lord, his God? I mean, look at what Elijah's been out in the desert. I don't know for how long. And, and I'm guessing he hasn't been manicured and he hasn't been well showered and he's probably got a beard sticking out there and all kinds of stuff's growing, you know, everywhere and he probably smells to high heaven. He looks like a homeless guy. So a homeless guy shows up and says, listen, I know you're almost out of food, but hey, do me a favor. Make it for me first. Because that's the stipulation, right? Make it for me. And then, you know, you go make yourself something. Would you do it? Or would you run to your house and shut the door and lock it? <laughs> Get this cray-cray away from you. She does it. 
What's the point? There comes a point in time, friends, when you got to put up or shut up. Either you follow through or you don't. I, I don't know about you, but I, I know a lot of people, man, they, they, they talk a good game, don't they? And they say how much they love Jesus with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. And man, they've given their life over to Jesus Christ, but they've never been baptized. Why haven't they ever been baptized? Well, they got a million excuses as to why not. Wait a second. Are you going to be faithful to him or not? I thought you said you're going to follow Jesus. Yeah, I do follow Jesus, but you won't follow him 60 feet over there. Are you just talking the noise? You talking the talk or you, you want to walk the walk? It's put up or shut up time, right? You, you trust God for your eternity. Oh, man, one day I'm walking, walking on the streets of gold. You want to know a place where there's no more sickness or death or suffering? For the old order of things that's passed away, my God's made everything new. I trust him with my eternity. Good for you. Will you trust him today? Will you be faithful today to the things that he's asked you to do? Will you start tithing? But I love him. I'm following him. He's my Lord. He's my, you sure about that? Comes a point in time where you put up or you shut up. Stop saying you're gonna and just do it. Just do what he asks you to do. And if you'll just do it, he'll be faithful to you. And your faith in him will be strengthened when you do that which makes no sense to you at all. Listen to me. The following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. You know, people say, well, they follow Jesus. Jesus is just a crutch to them, you know. Do you not know what it is to follow Jesus? It means sacrifice. It means you give away things you never thought you would give away. You go to places you never thought you would go. You say things you never thought you would say. You do things you never thought you would do. Even when it doesn't make sense. And every time you take a step of faith, God shows himself. God provides. And your faith gets stronger as a result. So the woman goes in and she does exactly what Elijah asked her to do. He gets the flour that she's got. She gets the oil. She makes the little thing of bread. She brings it to Elijah. And Elijah's sitting there eating it. And she goes back into her kitchen. What do you think she does? My guess is that she got on the floor and she started to cry. Because that's it. Game over. The flour's gone. The oil's gone. And maybe after a couple hours, she walks back over to the jar. She walks over to the jar of flour, the jar of oil, and she looks inside, and she's shocked. There's a little bit of flour, and there's a little bit of oil. And so she scoops it together, and she makes another piece of bread, and, and she gives this one to her son. And she comes back a few minutes later, and she looks into the jar, and, and there's some flour, and there's some oil, and so she scoops it back up, and she makes one for herself. And she does this day after day after day after day after day. Look what the Bible says. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. The jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry. She did that which made absolutely no sense to her, and God was faithful as a result. This is the pattern, isn't it? We've seen it from person to person to person. God guides us, and then you got to make a decision. Follow him or not. Don't, don't say you're going to. Follow him or not. And then if you do, God provides. God's faithful. 
We, we wish it was something different, didn't we? we? We wish God would guide us, and then when God says, hey, do this, we'd say, okay, well, before I do that, would you do this? And then God does that, and we, okay, I'll now do it. Right? If you'd lay the breadcrumbs out, Lord, then I'll just kind of follow the breadcrumbs. That's what I'll do. We'd like it to be that way, but then God says, no, I'm going to lead you to a place that looks like a dead end, and then, and then you're going to have an option. You can go for it or not. You can sit down and, and, and your faith will be shaken or you can take a step of faith, walk out of the boat and you can walk on water and you can do something amazing. What do, what do, you, want, what do you want to do? Isn't this what Joshua was faced with? He's leading the children of Israel into the promised land. They come to the Jordan River. The Jordan River is at flood stage. Joshua knows that as soon as they cross over the river that they are going to be facing seven enemy nations. Each one of these nations is larger and stronger, has a better military might than his does. And then he gets there and he's already scared. Now there's a raging river in front of him and God says, okay, here's the deal. I led you here to this dead end. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get the priest. I want them to get the Ark of the Covenant and I want you to walk into the water. And once they get into the water, I'll dam the water up the ways and then you'll be able to get across the other side. So Joshua pulls the priest in and says, this is what the Lord our God says. Guys, you're going to grab the Ark of the Covenant. You're going to walk into the water, and then God's going to dam it up, and we're going to walk across. Now, now put yourself in the priest's shoes. <laughs> I think if I was one of those priests, I would turn to another priest and say, I think I went first yesterday. If you want to go first, you know, I don't, I don't want to be the hog of the first. We, we would like the water to be parted before we have to step in. But that's not how God does it. You get in. And here's my question. How deep did they have to get in before he started damming up that water? Did it come up to their waist? Did it come up to their chest? Did it come up to their neck? Were they doing this? I don't know. But I know this. Once they took that step of faith, God damned that water, and they walked across. That's the way it always works. Let me tell you about this story. Elijah needed the brook to dry up. And he needed that jar of flour to keep replenishing itself and that jug of oil to keep replenishing itself because God was getting Elijah prepared for 1 Kings chapter 18. See, the jar of oil and the jar of flour, the brook drying up, all gave him the reassurance and the faith to face what's going to happen in chapter 18. And in chapter 18, Elijah is going to stand before 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah, and he's going to call them to a showdown. It's going to be one man against 850 people. And he needs a faith that's stronger than what he has in chapter 17. He needs the faith of chapter 18. And because God showed himself faithful in chapter 17, Elijah was able to stand and face unbelievable odds because God had grown his faith. And that's the same process that God wants to do for you and for me. Will you let him? Will you take the step even when it doesn't make any sense? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we need a defiant faith. We need a faith that never gives up. A faith that always focuses our eyes on you. A faith that believes the unbelievable. 
We need to trust you in ways that we've never trusted you before. And we've got to stop talking about it. We've just got to start doing it. We've got to walk the talk. So give us faith to be strong. To follow you into the greatest adventure. To do what you want us to do. To give what you want us to give. To serve in the way you want us to serve. To sacrifice the things you want us to sacrifice. Oh God. May we be faithful to you as you've been faithful to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.